0: Right, we're not in the customer satisfaction business. In fact, our business is killing our customer That's right. and then right. raising them to new life That's in right. Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Gentlemen, how are you today? Very good. Great, Nick. Now, you listeners dodged a bullet. You have no idea how close you came to an episode without J.D. today. You've been <laughs> wrangling with an auto mechanic all day. Is that right?
1: Well, it's um, because uh, there's so few people working at the local uh, auto dealership, which it services my car. Uh, they have one appointment every six months. And um, although I do have a brand new car, which I highly recommend, I'm getting no money for this. It's a Kia Kia Carnival, which is a giant um, state. Um, yeah, it's a... Um, it's a minivan, uh, but it's a cool-looking minivan. Like, I'm going to get a, a brush guard on the front, maybe some ground <laughs> effects, um, and I definitely uh, it looks cool, but it's, uh, it has two sliding doors, which for our three nice toddlers and yeah. our two little children coming is a um, necessity. So when they can start to opening- Well, when they can open doors um, less than just sort of slamming them open into the um, (laughs) Range Rover and the, uh, you know, whatever next door to us, then we'll consider a regular car. But until then, it's minivans all the way. Mm -hmm. Um, That's right. I'll have a van till the day I die. I love how high up on the road I get to sit like I'm a king. I do like (laughs) it. And and this one has all these like cameras, right? Yeah like look all around, it's (laughs) it's great, I really enjoy it. So, J.D., you sent us a
0: new survey report out from Arizona Christian University and George Barna. And, you know, I think we could sort of do a weekly show just reacting to whatever brand new survey results there are if we wanted to. But this new report is called Millennials in America. That's all about, you guessed it, Millennials in America. And there's some expected things in there like the fact that almost half of young adults say they prefer socialism to capitalism <laughs> and that three out of four millennials believe that all religious faiths are of equal value. There's also some weird stuff like the fact that while only one third of millennials surveyed claim to believe in God, a majority of all millennials claim to hold a positive opinion of Jesus Christ in the Bible and a negative view of atheism. Maybe we can talk about how that could possibly be, but Perhaps the most shocking stat that I saw, although perhaps less shocking since I read Abigail Schreier's irreversible damage was that 39% of 18 to 24 year olds identify as LGBTQ 39%. So guys, what were some of your reactions to this survey? And what, if anything, do you think these things mean for the future of the church?
2: That's a remarkable number, that, that last one yeah. you mentioned. I mean, that's just that's incredible. I remember growing up in Texas, South Texas, what was it hundred years ago or so, however long ago. <laughs> it was it just seems and, like hundred. It just yeah, looks like you it's know, 100 I mean years, <laughs> I mean and I'm not saying this is good, but but being called a homosexual was a kind of epithet you, you, you know if you were if you were effeminate then that was like the worst possible thing for you um and nobody would want to be identified that way i'm not saying again i'm not saying that's, that's necessarily good I'm even the ones that, who did
0: in fact identify that way wouldn't have answered a survey as such no yeah exactly exactly so so it's just a, a massive culture
2: shift i mean that's i mean that's unbelievable It's an earthquake it's a, a world turning upside down kind of thing um and the other thing i think up to 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 explain it, well, several things. Pornography, I think, has, has played a huge factor in this, um, in that uh, all kinds of sexual uh, activities and actions are are regularly on display, uh, just at a, at a moments a moments click away, and things that wouldn't be necessarily even thought of um, in a normal situation where we didn't have pornography are now just. Out there as 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 options, polyamory, those kinds of things. Um, So I think I think just having the the option of more of more types of sexual activities out there is one thing. And they're an option as
0: identities rather than just things you might like or enjoy sexually.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's and and and, but add to that the cultural mystique of it. You know, again, 100 years ago when I was a kid, it was it was a shameful thing. Now it's an honored thing. Like, so if you if you can if you can in any way stretch to be identified as somewhere in the LGBTQ whatever uh, realm, that's a, a mark of honor. It's a mark of prestige. You've, you've now you're now not just the normal cisgender boring cisgender person. you now have something else you have another another uh, another thing to add to your to your cred um street cred so i mean i think a lot of people who may not who may not who would not have thought of themselves as bi or gay or whatever are now stretching a little bit to to identify that way because of the because of the cultural cred you you get from it third i mean and this is i don't know this is just a pet theory i've had about about women in particular um is that because of the of the it's not just mine i've read this before um because of the preponderance of pornography and, and boys uh, seeing so much of it and expecting their girlfriends to act out some of the things they see, women, young women are tending to identify as lesbian to avoid having to, having to be subjected to the kind of horrible things that their boyfriends want to subject them to. So they just say, Hey, I'm, I'm, gay or a lesbian and right. they'll hang out with their girlfriends and maybe not doing anything sexually at all, but just they can, they can kind of have a safe.
1: Well, it reminded me of the way that the uh, Shakers village there in Kentucky, Nick, when I um, toured it, was talked about, it's um, because of their commitment to celibacy, one of their major um, converts, uh, the areas they converted people from were were widows and single young women for that very reason, because they were freed from um, the sort of the, the laws of the, you know, of the jungle, you know, which is sort <laughs> of, the, I mean, it was just, um, you know, they were predator, pre- preyed upon and they were, and I think that makes a lot of sense actually, Matt. I mean, I've, I've, um, y- you know, often thought that the, the world that you know, that is portrayed, uh, in this sort of the, the, like the idealized sexual libertinism is on the ground, um, you know, a a sort of a living version of hell for most people. I mean, like this, this, um, you know, what you're, you're subjected to and sort of the, the supposed, uh, freedom and joy that is found in this, um, this, uh, well, what Romans one talks about, you know, being, being turned over to the, to the, uh, you know, desires of your flesh. And, um, and I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. I think that, That there's a there's a there's a comfort and there's a security in claiming one of these identities because it puts up a protective barrier against judgment and against accusation, you know, because if you are somehow wounded, marginalized and or a victim, then, you know, I can explain a lot of what's wrong with me. I can explain a lot of. you know, you you the whatever you're going to say to me, I can sort of deflect as um, either being hateful or rude or uh, whatever the case may be. Um, there's a safety, I think, in in claiming this mm-hmm. one of these identities, um, however strongly, because it allows for a sense of protection and in an increasingly. You know, divided, hostile, and and kind of angry world. You know, for many of these young people, um, to be able to to cloak themselves in a uh, defensive um, cocoon that says, you know, don't don't yell at me, you know, don't don't point at me, don't don't um, judge me, is really, uh, um, I think, well, obviously, it's a powerful idea. You know, it's a powerful idea that has captivated forty percent of an entire. An entire generation, um, to some to some degree, and uh, people are rightly concerned about that. You know, I mean, I think that um, that it's a powerful, as you said, seismic change. No matter what, even if you even if you're for it, I mean, I can't imagine that you would have thought that it would have been so massive um, in simply one generation. And yet here we are. Um, Ideas about people and confessions about identity that were were unthinkable, you know, unimaginable. I mean, like Carl Truman's book says, even 20 years ago, much less or or 10 years ago, much less 20 years ago, are now. are now part of the, the common cultural parlance, and that has quite a lot of um, ramifications for our teaching and preaching and evangelism uh, and catechesis going forward. I think that's an understatement, but there we go.
2: I mean, I think we should maybe, you know, maybe we should also allow for the possibility that the poll might not be completely, <laughs> right. uh, completely accurate in a sense that because it is such a, a cultural thing, is celebrated. Um, that someone might be willing might be wanting to say that hey yes i'm lgbtq to a pollster who That's isn't right. really right so that 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 90 like percent
1: of the people point. in mount pleasant were supposedly voting for hillary clinton um yeah, know, sure, sure, according sure. to the polls That's and it turns out <laughs> that it was actually a hundred percent uh for uh,
2: like of those uh, exactly so of the 40 percent, i mean how many are going to actually you know get quote unquote married to a person of the same sex or well but i think this is
1: but but i think that points to the even maybe even a deeper problem is that even if there's an aspirational idea to these um to these identities or a or a um hopeful um identification with even if you know you're you're sort of pretending as it were you know trying on these identities the fact that there would be Yeah, that it would be a positive to identify in these ways Mm -hmm. um, over against uh, something, well, um, you know, to be avoided, um, not shameful, then, you know, that also is indicative of of a deep cultural shift, for sure.
0: Right. I mean, as my wife mentioned at lunch when we were discussing this, really anything that's not I'm straight and no, I always will be falls somewhere in this continuum so this this is a group of very young people who we largely wouldn't trust to do much of anything with their lives and many of them are probably just saying something like i don't know what i'll be into in five years i don't want to lock myself down into the one category that's the worst of anything which is just like (laughs) it's straight people like who wants to be just that (laughs) So I could see how anything other than just straight, I mean, as you were saying earlier, Matt, like maybe I'm attracted only to people of the opposite sex, but I'm more interesting than that. I'm attracted to them in this way or that way. Or or what were you, there was that whole list of sexual identities, right? I'm only attracted to people of the opposite sex who are not technically attracted to me. I'm, attracted to them with the idea that they might one day but are not actually attracted to me that's, that's not what straight. your sexuality is right
1: nick <laughs> luckily i have editing power over this podcast right? <laughs> that's what no and then there's the androsexual which is that identify it was have uh attracted to people who have masculine traits whether they're men or women i mean again you're like okay well, well this is just this
2: saying is- Yeah, but you're saying you're polyamorous. You're saying I'm a you know 17 year old male or 18 year old male, and I like to have sexual relationships with more than one woman. Boom, you're on the you're on the spectrum, right? (laughs) right. right. You're not no longer cisgender, right? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Well, I think yeah. I mean, this the this has been a slow train wreck coming though. I mean, this has been you know there are there are cultural commentators long dead who have foreseen this uh, day coming, and um, you know Christian and non. I mean, you think about like Francis Shapers or warnings back in the sixties, seventies, and, and then you have um, you know the more harrowing um, depictions like as we often talk about Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. I mean, you see the the disconnect from biology, the disconnect from history, the disconnect from from this uh sort of lived world by means of you know scientism and um, sort of a technocratic uh, Gnosticism um, and this is what the result is is that we have, um, Confused. Uh, well, at the very least, uh, we have, uh, to put it, to, to, to be as, as gracious as possible, you could say we have uh, malleable identities, right? I mean, like, you know, whether they think they're confused or not, they're certainly fluid, right? I mean, that's our new, um, you know, there's a book called Fluid Mod- Modernity by um, oh, I forget a German writer, but I have it. But, but you know, this is the idea is that now we live in this sort of dissolved world, you know, that that is just um, sort of formless and void, you know, <laughs> and we're ready, ready for our own uh, creation of it. And this is what we're looking at is we have people who have been told that uh, they can be anything they want, they can do anything they want they can and not just in a self-esteem era. you know this is like the boomers were told or you know certain generations were of you know grown up with you know if you can dream it, you can achieve it sort of idea. Well, that came crashing down around many people, you know, which which produced some reaction to it. But these people have been told, not only if you can dream it, but if you can conceive of it, you can physically manifest it, you know, in your body. You want to become a unicorn? Like, you know, we can work on trans. It's not, well, it's not
2: even achieving it. You are it. You, That's you right. are what you, you don't That's have to right. achieve anything. It's just who you are.
1: And I've been talking about <laughs> this. I've been talking about this a lot uh, leading up to this, because this is, I was talking about this in a class I was doing earlier, that these type Surveys, whether they're you know 100 percent, no, no surveys 100 percent accurate, um, only 98 percent accurate according to the statistics and surveys. But um, the uh, but you know they they start to communicate something that we instinctually know is true, like whether it's 40 percent or 30 percent or even 28. Like there's some larger percentage than we could have imagined 10 years ago that is considering these new identities and trying them on. Um, there's you know all of these things seem to ring true mostly. And the question for us uh, from the church, I think, is that we know that this will end poorly for people's lives. Like we know that this is the, that the wages of sin is death, you know, not just eternally, but, but practically and and temporally here. And that these sort of confused um, attempts of self um, self self-worship, the, the, the sort of being turned over to our, our desires is actually the wrath of God on the world. And so what we are going to see is is an opportunity to to share the reconciling and redeeming and healing uh, love of God to these, this generation that, that is going to um, is going to experience some some brokenness that we probably can't even couldn't have imagined. I mean, I don't know how you you imagine what someone who, you know, was at 14 was allowed to, you know, uh, disfigure themselves because their, their parents, teachers, friends, and family doctor, decided it was a good idea for them to, to change their gender, you know, when they're 38 or something, and all of a sudden come to realize that they really wish they had parts of their body, they no longer do, you know, what, what, that's, that's a, almost unimaginable pastoral concern but that's what we're going to face um that's the type of uh, wreckage that this um that this culture is going to produce and thankfully we're here preparing watching and and I hope uh, prayerfully waiting for uh the wisdom the words and the opportunity to welcome people back into um something of the the love of god uh, his his forgiveness and his redeeming love because it's going they're going to need it I mean, this is this is what the survey says, is they're going to need it.
0: We have something to say on the front end too, right, Matt? I mean, we, we recognize the symptoms. We've all stood in front of the mirror, probably especially when we were 18 or 24, or even younger middle school comes to mind in a very vivid way. Although technically it still happens even to this moment where we stand in front of the mirror and we think, I am not as I ought to be. So we as Christians... And as preachers, perhaps specifically, recognize the symptoms, and we can see that the world has just completely botched the diagnosis. But we have, we as the church, have a better word, isn't that right? Well, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, that's that's really the problem. And, and that's a problem with that's what
2: sin does. It it, it um I mean, I, for some reason, uh, Ecclesiastes two has been on my mind a lot just lately. I spoke about it in your church two weeks ago, but just the, the you know, in Ecclesiastes three, Solomon says that God sets eternity in our hearts. And Ecclesiastes two is all about Solomon confusing where he's going to find the satisfaction for the eternity or the, 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 the compatibility with eternity um, in earthly things uh, for the eternity that God set in his heart. And he just, he can't find it, right? There's nothing here that does it. Um, and um, I, yeah, so so we, we look in the mirror, we, we, we look at ourselves and we, and we, you, we know something's off. We know something's missing. We know something's wrong. Um and so, you know, what can I do? Well maybe, maybe I'm maybe the problem is my body. Maybe the problem is um people not accepting me for who I feel I am in my inner self. But right? it's this is and so we we go for solution after solution. And and really we're we're pouring um water into a leaky vessel. And we just never yeah. nothing we do is gonna is going to is going to is going to be compatible with the eternity God set in our hearts, except for God Himself. Um, and so, yeah, but it's a great time to preach the gospel. Absolutely, I mean, you know, every time, all oh, it's always a good time to preach the gospel. But but there's a but there's a uh, there's desperately a need. I think I think one of the things that is encouraging about today is that you know, whereas thirty or forty years ago, everyone would tell you, "Oh, I know that. Yeah, I've heard that before. I grew up Catholic." i grew up Catholic, right? <laughs> yeah. right. i mean we're, we're we're entering into an era where where people haven't heard it i mean they yeah. really don't know uh yeah you know, they don't know the they don't they weren't in sunday school and didn't learn about noah's ark and the animals going in two by two and the the yeah. abraham and Ma, Ma, they didn't learn all that they stuff that, that most everyone learned 40 or 50 years ago they have literally no idea i think that explains the religious part of the of the of the uh the the poll that you read, I mean, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. That people have a, a positive view of Jesus, and but don't believe, believe in God. But, uh, but don't believe in God. I mean, that's why. it's it's and have a negative view of atheists. I mean, that totally makes sense if you think of the kind of spiritual the way that spirituality plays itself out in our world. What is what is spirituality for for most for an increasing number of people? Probably most millennials. It is what has meaning to me you know, what, 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 what do I find in any way gives me a sense of peace or a feeling of, of transcendence and whatever that is, that's what I'm going to latch on to I'm going to hold on to that thing. So if it's Zen Buddhism, that's fine. If it's Wicca, that's fine. If it's whatever it might be a whole, I'll just, I'll, I'll take whatever I can that makes me have some kind of sense of meaning. So of course, yeah. Straight up atheism. <laughs> that's weird. Um, for for the nuns i guess we can call them have a few research calls for well, this, this, this group people this
1: one called them the don'ts the don't, don't know right, okay, if god exists don't care or don't believe
2: yeah because there, the question isn't is this religious idea or practice true the question is does this have does this have does this work for me does this make me feel a certain way spiritually and so it really, atheism doesn't make sense. But now that it's really like straight up belief in God in the way that the, the, the their mamas and papas believe in God. Um, but hey, Jesus is a pretty cool guy that seemed to be in touch with himself and very authentic. So, um, and hey, he had the great marriage with Mary Magdalene and his heirs were the <laughs> kings of France. So look, this is a, this is a great, <laughs> I I, I, don't, I don't think there's too much theological depth in those answers. I think it's just kind of, I think that's coming out of this, this spiritual milieu where people are spiritual but not religious and they're just tr- looking for something that works for them individually
1: yeah and i think what's fascinating to me about this being um sort of child of the 90s um you know mm-hmm. when i was i mean i was born in 77 but you know sort of coming to age late 80s early 90s just like the you know what aaron wren calls the uh positive uh, um i don't know if you've seen that he is the positive neutral and negative um tears of there was a segment in like the late um 20th century where it was very positive to be a christian you know it was like all the we talked about this you know uh, uh jars of clay was on the top 40 and you know you could have your god's gym t-shirt and not be totally laughed out of school and they you know what would jesus do bracelets all that stuff and then there was a neutral world um you know that was in between i, I mean i don't know the years aren't exact but you know like mid 2000 early aughts to you know up to about 2012 13 but then is this is the the full flowering of the sexual revolution. Revolution, pun intended, or um, it, and that wasn't a pun really, but the, the full deflowering. 17. That's right, the full deflowering. <laughs> oh, the sexual revolution came to uh, for which was represented in many ways by the Obergefell decision and the and the sort of the the whimper of the uh, culture to you know the to the reaction to that Uh, we've entered into a negative a negative uh, world where Christian actual Christian teaching um, as as is seen as um, well you know increasingly harmful you know negative uh, to dour to constricting and I think that's in part, so, so what's fascinating about that is you had this, the, the children and then the, almost literally, but the children and then the children of the children of that positive Christian worldview are what we're watching sort of come of age um, during this time. And it really brings into question like what was being taught, uh, what was being communicated and um, what can we learn if anything, from from what what was wrought upon this entire Christian quote unquote Christian generation, because You know, for me, in my in our perspective, I've been talking a lot with like our youth minister, for instance, and our music minister and saying, you know, as fun as uh, jars of clay concert was and, you know, having a a separate youth room with a bunch of foosball tables like that didn't seem to do the trick, you know, it didn't seem to to um, to to work out very well. And so we've it's it's causing a huge rethink about um, catechism, about formation, about all these things, because, you know, numbers and well, the numbers have, have, have come back, you know, the, the, the children have come back, uh, are, 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 they're represented now in these surveys. And I think it's a real judgment on what was, like I said, what the church was, was communicating, what was teaching. And on the flip side of that, uh, we see this rise. You've probably seen all the articles about the, um, the pastors leaving, you know, like an untold number of pastors are leaving the ministry and having burnout and all this stuff. And I think in part, it's because, Again, those were pastors our age, roughly, who had been either raised on or taught that this is what they should have. This is what Christianity was. And then now that actual Christianity comes into conflict with the culture, and there's no cultural buttressing of any of these outdated ideas, it becomes a much more difficult job. You know, we talk about this a lot, but I think it's there's there's a there's a correlation between this survey and pastors finding their jobs to be a lot more difficult than they expected. And I think that's in part because what they were communicating, um, wasn't um wasn't you know biblical wasn't wasn't the law and the gospel you know it wasn't it wasn't anything it was a it was a a enculturated um idea of god that had very little uh grounding in in actual fact as has been revealed and when that takes place well then sinners are called to repentance and um well that's a much more uncomfortable job than um than than many people expected, and I, and I think we're I think this is I think there's a correlation there. I mean, I could be wrong, but what do you think, Matt?
2: No, I think it's I think it's that's right. I I think that uh, there hasn't been, you know, there there hasn't been a time like this in I don't think any time in the past 200 years of the, our nation's history where where we've been a post we're we're becoming a post. The people say this, not, this is no new insight, <laughs> it's not blinding revolution. Uh, we're becoming a post Christian. A post-christian nation and so if that's since that's the case the strategies for for reaching out to a Christian nation just aren't going to work people aren't going to be a, be drawn in to a church that's not like Grandma's church because they don't want to go to church anyway so having I'm not your grandma's church on your on your billboard just says Duff. Well, okay, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Um, that may have said something to the 90s generation, but it's not going to say anything to the people today because they don't, again, they don't care. So what do you do? Well, I think you just, I think you're right. I mean, the, the only way to really survive in this type of environment and what, what should have been done all the time, of course, um, is is basics. You preach the gospel, you, 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 you preach the word and you uh, administer the sacraments, you pastor your people and you do what the church has done for 2000 years. Um, and 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 drop the gimmicks, drop the drop the marketing appeals, drop the church growth strategies, um, and 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 be uh, what the church has always been called to be, and let God let God build her, let God build her up. And he'll, he'll do that through His Word. You just let her. I mean, and by build, I don't mean necessarily will be big. I mean, he'll we'll, he'll have the church he wants, which is hard to do because we have. I mean, uh, I'll speak personally. We have, you know, maybe maybe you guys are. Per- I'm not sure if you're too young for this or not. Maybe you just don't have the same background I do, but you're what? We're you're much,
1: much younger year, than you 20 are. 20
2: years younger than I am, Is that <laughs> 10 or 10.
1: Uh, who's Mind to say how old we are?
2: <laughs> who's to say? It's like say it's many years. I identify many,
1: many years. Uh, much younger than, yeah. I, uh, than I am. <laughs> but, so.
2: but when I was coming up at it, it numbers were huge. Like you, like that was That was the thing you ASA. You're every Sunday attendee. Yeah,
1: there are books written about church growth strategies for Episcopal churches back in the '90s. So that tells you how yeah. sort of uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. wishful I was thinking book, people so. were back then. <laughs> That's right,
2: right, right, right. So that was that was the thing, and that and that made sense to judge it, the success of it or did I'm not saying it was good, but it may it it was reasonable. Um, it was a it was a plausible, a plausible idea. To to judge the health of a, of a church by numbers, if we're in a Christian society or a society is nominally Christian, a society is not antithetical to Judeo Christian values, but if you're in if you're in Babylon Rome, no, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not that's not quite the way to judge the health of a church. Amen.
0: So how how could a modern pastor faced with shepherding a church in today's culture how could they
1: be encouraged okay well i think um we could go back to corinth as our guide i've been reinvigorated by reading through commentaries and first uh, corinthians in particular um because you know corinth was not just the culture of Corinth, but the actual church culture in Corinth had already been sort of paganized. you know he, Paul was arguing that inside the church you had sexual immorality. that shouldn't even be named among the pagans. you know you had abuse of the Eucharist, you had overemphasis on on charismatic revelations and things. You had all of <clears throat> all of the same problems both outside the church and inside the church. And what was Paul's response to that was go back and preach the cross. You know, this is it. I didn't come to you with flowery words. I didn't come to you with sophistry. You know, not many of you were ever even that highly born or bred, but nevertheless, what did I preach to you? What I heard and came to believe and I preached to you and you came to believe it. And that was the word of the cross, you know, the foolishness of the cross. And I think that that is, the, what the church is going to be forced to regain, and I think you know what we're witnessing now is what, um, in part, one of the reasons I went to Germany um, to do my uh, doctoral studies was because the the church on the other side of that great blinding conflict, um, World War II in particular, uh, where all these you know this this fog of war, and and then of course the church's um, you know just just the darkness of the entire. Of the entire existence what was the church on the other side of that well let's say that there was an unsurprising return to uh the theology of the cross you know for people in europe um you know on all sorts sides, sides of these issues and and i think that you know the the optimism kind of the naivete and it, and frankly the 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 superficial the, the saccharine superficiality of it uh of the church in the 90s um is being judged and and is you know the the ministers who thought that was that, that the only thing keeping their people there was that they were in the latest fashion. You know, the, the churches that thought the variations on the chorus, the choruses and the smoke machine was going to keep them in. I mean, even the, the liturgical churches that thought maybe, you know, 17 part harmony this time with the chanting <laughs> is going to keep them in. And if we put another, get a fancier chasuble or like we have more incense, whatever, the, whatever you thought was going to bring people to church outside of the preaching of the cross, uh, well, we were wrong we were just wrong. And you know the cross is is a tough, tough word, except for those who are being saved. I mean, that's the thing. it's it's a foolish, it's a foolishness. It's a stumbling block. but for those of us being saved, it's the power of God for salvation. And so what does that look like? It looks like identifying, first of all, with the crucified, Meaning that the darkness of the world is not denied, and it's certainly the, the conflicts and the and the complicity of our own sinfulness in Jesus' death is not denied or minimized. You know, we're not self-righteous over here sitting there. You know, we're the publicans saying, Lord, have mercy on us. But the cross is not relegated simply to Good Friday, but also Easter. But Easter comes with... Um, the risen Lord holding in his body, our wounds, and we continue in his suffering, this side of heaven, as Paul says, um, you know, we carry and continue the sufferings of Christ in our body. So our triumphalistic posture over the culture, over the world has got to be, uh, well, is being judged and will be tempered by a return to the preaching of the cross. But and this is just, I can say this both personally in my own life, but also by extension as a minister, actually seeing this happen. It's not conjecture. It's people whose lives have been shipwrecked. You know, the prodigal who has woken up to the pigs. I mean, you, you know, use the metaphors. Lazarus who has been dead. I mean, go down the line of stories and accounts. Uh, Jonah, you know, Jonah, the Jonah's that have come back to church after having been thrown off the ship. Um, they're here. And every day, one or two, or every week, one or two more stumble in or seem to wake up. And there's great hope, Um, not that I know how many are going to come, but that they're coming and that we are the only people saying what they need to hear is also true. And so that's the encouragement is that You know, God didn't promise us um, how many the harvest he's the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, but his he's the Lord of the harvest. And our job is to uh, trust that we are being sent to find his sheep and given the confidence to continue to call them. And that's going to be increasingly difficult in a world that wants us to just be quiet. And yet for their sake and for his glory, uh, we'll refuse by his by his grace. So, Matt, we said earlier that we can
0: totally identify with the 18 to 24 year old LGBTQ identifier who's standing in front of their mirror and saying to themselves, I am not as I ought to be. We, we feel that. We've said that. We acknowledge the symptoms. Something's wrong. But we say you are tragically missing the real cause of your problem. You think that maybe you should be a boy or maybe you should sleep with x y or z and what what can we standing there with our arm around them saying we've stood here and we've said these same things as much as a proper diagnosis heard from an accurate physician might be scary and lead places that are uncertain what what can we say to the person who who knows that there's something wrong, but doesn't know what it is.
2: Well, I mean, I think we have to, we have to, there, there in those places, you know, just what JD was saying. And I think we've been saying um, throughout not just this podcast, but all of our podcasts, just, we have, we have to be able to, to, to show um, the person first and foremost, the reason for his confusion or her confusion, because we're sinners, we were lost. Um, we have taken the fruit. The serpent um, offered us, and we are always seeking ways to be autonomous and independent of God, um, and and to find our own way and justify ourselves. and And every 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 attempt is going to fail, um, and it fails for me just as well. As it fails for it fails for you. Your attempt might be more might be more uh, you know, visible than mine, but it's the same idea. We we are always we're in the flesh. We are always on this quest to justify the self and to, and to get, and to give ourselves life and to find life and the things that are dying. And that's, that's not going to work, but yet, but God um, took on, took on infirm flesh, took on uh, the, the body of infirmity and um, in human nature, although he didn't sin, he took on a body that, that was capable of death and bore the consequences of our sin and took on um, the fullness of our infirmity and died and took it away. Um, and for that reason, uh, because he had defeated death and destroyed the grave, and because he took sin with him um, to his cross, he rose, you on know, the third day. And in him, we can have the life that we're looking for and everything else, because he, you know, everything else passes away, nothing else can satisfy, uh, nothing else can justify, but he can do all of that. He can justify us by um by computing to us his righteousness by joining himself to us as one and he can give us new life because he rose from the dead so there, there's there's the only hope we have there's the only hope anyone has um so I think we have to keep saying we just have to keep saying that. Going back to what JD was saying a minute ago, that, that uh, it's not just that we have an opportunity; it's not just that we have this positive time right now where we can um, where we can be encouraged as pastors that we can preach the gospel. But but I think that the old way of of being the church in the '90s and even the early 2000s and even today um, is is now significantly under threat because of the way our culture has changed. The only way the old marketing strategies work is if you also jettison the gospel, yeah. if you jettison, if you jettison, if no one's going to listen to you uh, talk about Jesus. If you're also anti uh, you know, if you're not pro gay marriage, so that's going to have to change. Um, yeah. No one's going to listen to you talk about Jesus. If you're narrow-minded about, about other paths. I mean, so, so, so if you're going to follow that marketing strategy, it's no It's now, it's now a matter of ultimately having to compromise the gospel to make it work. Um, whereas, whereas, uh, for those pastors who would like to, to, to offer the real, the real hope for people, which is Jesus himself, then, then we just have to jettison all of that marketing stuff altogether and, and go back to what JD was saying, preaching Christ and him crucified.
0: Right. We're not in the customer satisfaction business. In fact, our business is killing our
1: customer and
0: then raising them to new life in Jesus
1: Christ. Just when you thought it was safe to go into the water, That's right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with you, Matt. And I think, you know, we've seen a redoubled effort. I mean, I know I speak as a father of young children. I mean, you have um, well, you have a range, of course. But, you know, one of the primary things that we have um, we've seen as a result of this, these cultural changes is a renewed interest by by believing parents to. Uh, equip resource and um, encourage you know them and then by extension their children at whatever age because you know and i guess of course this is just biblical and historical we've seen this before i mean you know the jews in the middle of their wanderings and in the middle of occupation in the middle of um apostasy i mean you know essentially the prophets had one voice at just different times which was return to the lord you know return to his precepts return teach them to your children bind them on your hearts put them on their forehead put them in your mouth you know i mean this was and i think that um that we had uh, again i want to i don't want to judge the people but i think that we there was some transfer of responsibility to particularly institutional churches that has proven to have been a um a foolish enterprise in many people's lives and so what we're seeing is a renewed interest um in the future which i think is actually going to again the lord is using this for the good i mean he you know he disciplines those he loves and i think that the the american church you know the sort of the idea that we were this outlier amongst the western world that we were all true believers and that all these other godless um, you know, Western countries had long ago jettisoned Christianity. Was was um, has been called into question. What well, has been called into question? I, I remember Peter Berger's famous book, you know, um, Christian America, Secular Europe? Question mark Where he essentially said, um, it essentially, this is an incredible paraphrase, but uh, uh, everyone that went to church in America was was sort of going uh, along with the flow, and that the people who really went, to, who who are true believers, are the only ones that went to church. In Europe. And so uh, when they were tested, like the true believers in Europe would be, well, then he was right that would expect that there wouldn't be such a difference between the two. And that's what we're watching. And so again, I'm not. you know, I mean, in my in my uh, flesh and my weakness, I of course would love, as I often joke, uh, to be back in the day when places like Brooks Brothers would give you, you know, if you wore a collar, you get a ten percent discount because you were a clergyman. You know, it'd be like there was a p- position of reverence and and at least societal uh, positioning for uh, clergy, and that's that's uh, now now you joke about it. They would force you to pay ten percent more if if not, just bar you from the store. <laughs> you know, if you were, but um, at any rate. Um, you know, it, as much as we may want to have lived in those times, this is the ones we're in. And again, I've been redoubled by the pastoral. I've, I've been grateful the Lord has has, um, put back on my heart, uh, you know, the, the pastoral concern for this, even this particular generation, the, uh, the statistics said, um, you know, majority admits to often feeling anxious, depressed, or fearful. It's like, we well, had yeah, no joke, you know, I mean, this is the world that you're, you're, uh, inhabiting that there was another, another one of the survey statistics that came out that said 50%, 49.5. So just to be to be uh, (laughs) clear of American adolescents age 13 to 18 are reported to have one or more types of mental illness. Like that's an amazing statistic right there too. And so you're sitting there saying, you know, there when Jesus talks about the the harvest is plentiful. I mean, he's not he knows very well the sorrows of the world and the darkness of 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 life without um, his uh, mercy and love. And so, that's what we are fighting for, and that's what we'll continue to by God's grace see uh, take place in our churches as people. Um, Hopefully uh, don't get too dark and too deep into um, despair, but uh, something of the ministry by extension of our preaching into the world through the ears of those who hear it um, will continue to bring these lost sheep um, to the fold. And so that's, that's the encouragement and that's the hope and, um, and one that we'll continue to, to do.
0: All right, well, that's going to be all the time that we have for our conversation today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Stand Firm podcast. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.